Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. Lots of fun stuff in technology this week. Uh, The U.S. is giving the Chinese firms away and ZTE more trouble. Universities are pulling away from them. There is a huge battle going on on the tech front between the U.S. and China. There's a major breakthrough in rechargeable batteries. Uh, a young student at uh, UC Irvine came up with a battery that could last 400 years, a rechargeable battery. Mm. It's an amazing breakthrough. Facebook actually had cybercrime groups operating in plain sight. There were like 68 groups that were on Facebook, and they were selling credit cards and all sorts of identity theft things right in the open. It was quite amazing. And there's uh, been a study of infrastructure cyber attacks, and it, and it is on the rise. This week, we're going to feature Elizabeth Friedman. She is the first female crypt, crypt analyst. Um, her husband was the dean of crypt analysts. He started the whole field of crypto, and so she worked with him. And I'd featured her husband previously, but she had a... Ch- achieved a lot in her own right. So I thought she deserved her own profile in IT. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. Well, we're off to a great start. Here we go. Sorry about that. There's a letter in your mailbox. That's there what happens when we you've go. had one too many camels for breakfast. That's what happened. We're going to have to you know, get Mr. Big Voice back mm-hmm. on track. We got an yes. email from Dave in Chantilly. Dear Tech Talk, I took your advice and replaced the hard drive in my laptop with a solid-state drive, SSD, to make it faster. Everything seems to be working okay. The speed really increased. That, that, by the way, I do that is a great way to increase the performance of your laptop with this solid-state drives, and the prices are coming down. But I'm worried that I may have possibly damaged something while swapping the drive. What happened was I forgot to remove the battery. Oops. And I completed the whole procedure while it was still inside the laptop, which means there was actually was actually connected to electricity. Is there a chance I could have damaged something? <laughs> or yourself. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, while I was doing that. It seems okay, but I'm just a little worried now, Dave and Chantilly. Well, Dave, I believe your laptop's going to be fine. The fact that it turned on, it's working, probably means you didn't damage it. You didn't mention whether you powered down the machine before swapping the drives. I assume that you would have done that because you'd have to close the lid You'd have to close the lid, to, you know, to remove the um, to remove the, uh, the 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 hard drive because that comes out of the bottom of the um, of the laptop. And if, and if you've turned off the power, it's highly unlikely that anything inside your laptop sustained any damage while you're working on the inside. However, if the laptop were accidentally powered on while you're removing the hard drive, it is possible that a that a momentary power spike could cause some damage. 
So it's always good practice, as you know now, to remove the battery before you do anything internal to a laptop. But I think your device is going to be just okay. We got an email from Kevin in Noakesville. Dear Doc and Jim, I occasionally download a file from the Internet. I'm worried that I might be downloading malware onto my computer. Is there a way to scan the file before I open it to make certain it is clean? Love the podcast, Ken in Noakesville. Well, you can scan a single file, Kevin. What you do is that you – what you want to do before you scan the file, you don't want to uh, open the file. That's what you want to do. So you can save the file to your to your hard drive, and then you can right-click on the file, and a, and a menu will pop up, and it will say scan with your antivirus software. And you can just scan that one file, and and so then before you open it up. So you can, you can also configure your antivirus software to scan any new files that show up on your hard drive, you know – you know, as soon as they show up. But if it, just in case that's not set up, you just right-click and you can scan it. Now, that assumes that your antivirus software is going to pick up the virus. Now, you know, there are a lot of viruses, a lot of new viruses. And so maybe it would be good to scan that file with 70 antivirus software programs, everyone that's out there, all the latest and greatest, and then you'd really know they're as good. So you do have a second option. You can go to a website, VirusTotal virustotal.com and virustotal inspects items with over 70 antivirus scanners and url domain blacklisting services you just drag the file you wish to scan into the selection box or you can choose the file and navigate to it and then you basically upload the file to virustotal and they will scan it with 70 antivirus programs and then they'll give you a summary report then you'll really know whether that works. That is a great service. It's free of charge. Just go to www.virustotal.com. We got an email from Michael in New Jersey. Dear Doc and Jim, I have a Facebook friend that is annoying, <laughs> and their posts are getting on my nerves. They post hundreds of status updates every day filled with meaningless comments. Hey, do you like my donut that I just got here? Do you like how my cappuccino looks? You know, you've seen people, they just yeah. post every 10 minutes. Is there a way to block these posts without actually unfriending them? Because they are my friend. They're just annoying me. Mm -hmm. Michael in New Jersey. Well, Michael, you don't have to unfriend a problem friend on Facebook to keep their posts out of your newsfeed. You simply unfollow them. Now, simply go to your annoying friend's timeline, hover your mouse over the following button, and then a little menu comes up, and you select unfollow at the bottom of the drop-down menu. And his or her post will no longer show up in your news feed, which is pretty nice. Now, your friend, because they're still a friend, they'll be able to tag you in posts. They'll be able to post directly to your timeline. They'll be able to send you private messages. But you are not going to see a 100 Status updates every day on your timeline. So that's probably the best way to do it. Just unfollow them. Don't unfriend them. Dennis, we got an email from Dennis in Kansas. Dear Tech Talk, I've got a large house in a basement that is very far from the Wi-Fi access point. I have nearly no Wi-Fi signal. Uh, I have no Wi-Fi signal in my rec room. How can I extend my Wi-Fi to the basement in a cost-effective way? Dennis in Kansas. Well, there are a couple of ways to uh, to do that. You could 
I mean, you could, you know, if you want to really, in the old days, you'd run an Ethernet wire all the way to, down to the cable and you'd plug another access pointed Ethernet wire and you'd plug the Ethernet into your router upstairs. That's a lot of work. So I don't recommend that. They do have Wi-Fi extenders where you can put a Wi-Fi extender on the edge of the Wi-Fi field of your of your upstairs router and it will set up a communication channel, and then it will then create its, a, a new Wi-Fi access point that people can connect to. Now, the problem with doing it that way is if you're going to someplace like your basement where you've got a very, very low signal, it means even your extender in the basement is going to have a fairly low signal, and that means you're going to have a low, low data rate. So that may not work in your instance. So there is a better way for you. You can, you can actually... Uh, you can actually Connect, use a use a, a method which is called power line networking. And what you do is there's an inexpensive power line networking Wi-Fi extender kit that provides fast wired and wireless connections to your home without having to run any wires. And it really works well. Um, so what you do is, and typically they, it contains two devices. It contains a power line Ethernet adapter and a wireless network extender. So what you do, you take the power line Ethernet adapter and plug it into the wall beside your router, okay? And then you connect an Ethernet cable from that Ethernet adapter, and you connect that, you connect that uh, uh, Ethernet adapter with an Ethernet cable right directly to your router. Now, make certain to plug that Ethernet adapter directly into a wall plug. Don't plug it into some sort of surge protector. It's got to go directly in the wall. Then you take your network wireless extender, which and you go to the other part of the house, when you plug that into the wall, it will establish a direct connection through the power line to, the, uh, to your router. And it will basically use the power line in your home as essentially an Ethernet cable. And then once you're connected to the router, it then has a Wi-Fi access point. This is a great way to do that. You, like, for instance, if you've got a, like a remote garage and you're on the same power circuit as the house, you could set up a Wi-Fi network in your garage using this way. So you're basically using the power line to, to communicate signals um, you know, at bandwidth, and then you have the access point at the other end. Now, there's a device that's pretty good. It's $108 on Amazon, so I like it. It's the Netgear Powerline 100 megabit per second Wi-Fi. 1 gigahertz port essentials edition kit. And so it's $108 and it's got two boxes, as I said. One box plugs in right beside the router. You attach that box by the Ethernet cable to the router. The other box goes into your remote location, like the basement. You plug that into the power. It establishes a connection to the to the to the um, to the power line adapter near your router, and then it then sets up, then you set up a a new Wi-Fi access point down there, and you are good to go. We got an email from Angie in Missouri. Dear Doc and Jim, I've been reading about this new time-of-flight camera. Time-of-flight camera that's coming out on the 2019 smartphones. All the manufacturers are joining the cause. What's so special about this camera? Is it worth waiting for? Angie in Missouri. Well, Angie, the time-of-flight cameras have been around for a while, but they've been kind of high-end cameras. Now, the ones that are coming out on the cell phones use infrared light to determine depth information. So before you send the signal, it sends out a pulse of infrared light, and that pulse 
is reflected back from objects in the field. And by looking at the time of flight or the delay between when that comes back, they're able to, they're able to uh, decide what the range is. And so they use that time of flight information combined with the image to do little calculations, and they can calculate depth of field. So it's very nice. So in photography, the idea of the foreground and background is called depth of field is, you know, you create a sense of realism. You've seen like, you know, photographs that have got a narrow depth of field, which means that the subject is in focus, but say the trees in the background are out of focus. So you can actually, with this new time-of-flight camera, you can create that effect. So you can take a portrait, and you can have the background actually, you can have the background actually out of focus. It's a very, very nice feature. And so they're they're coming. There are a few that are out now. These are more expensive. We've got the LG ThinQ, the Honor View 220, Huawei P30 Pro, and the Oppo RX17 Pro. These all have time-of-flight cameras. But in 2019 and 2020, you're going to see time-of-flight cameras coming out on with on Samsung and Apple devices, and you're looking like more and more professional photographic quality when you get that. So it, it could be worth waiting for if you're into those kind of portraits. Now, uh, we got an email from April in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, what is the best way to back up my computer? April in, uh, in Fairfax. Well, there, there are several ways to do that, April. Let me look at this thing. There are several ways. You can back it up to an external hard drive. That's really the quickest. It's a USB hard drive. You can get, you know, several terabyte hard drive for, you know, $100, $150. The prices are coming down. And Windows 10 and Mac, they all have very simple programs that will back up to the to that hard drive. And that's a quick way to do it. It's, I mean, the advantage is it's cheap and it's fast. The disadvantage is if your house is robbed or your house catches fire... You lose your backup right along with your computer. Now, you could also back up over the Internet using a program called Backblaze or another Carbonite or Mosey Home. These are all backed up to the Internet, and these cost about $5 a month. They run in the background. You constantly are backing up. I use Carbonite, for instance, uh, because I, I've been using Carbonite on my laptop for years, and I've lost laptops. I've had them run over by cars, and I've never lost a thing because I had everything backed up automatically on Carbonite. So backing up to the to, over the Internet is good. It just costs you a little bit of money. Now, the online backup protects you against any type of data loss, hard drive failure, theft, natural disasters, and everything in between. Now, the disadvantage is that it costs a little money every month, and your initial backup takes a long time. Sometimes the initial backup might take a few hours So, because you're going up, uploading over the Internet. Then the last one is to use a, just a cloud storage service, and these are set up for file synchronization like Dropbox, Google Drive, Microsoft OneDrive, um, iCloud. These, are, these all are file synchronization. So a lot of people just use the cloud storage devices as their backup, and they just synchronize the files on their, on their laptop or on their computer with the Internet. I also use, I use that too. I mean, I'm, I'm using Carbonite. I'm using iCloud. I'm using Google Drive. I'm using Dropbox. I'm using Microsoft OneDrive. I'm, I'm storing stuff all over the place. Because, and, because all, and now these clouds— you, how, yeah. do you know, how do you know where to find it <laughs> if you're storing it all over the place? Well, I can. I have links to it all, and then if, I, I, because I, I don't trust anything. So if anything gets messed up, oh, so I've, you double store it. I'm double. Store I'm it. double storing it. Yeah, I'm double Gosh. storing it, and it auto, and it's automatically synced. So, so I'm using. I'm using. I so on my laptop, I'm using. Um, I'm using a Dropbox, 
uh, for a lot of my critical business files as well as Carbonite. For uh, a lot of my other files, like my uh, photo files, I'm using iCloud. iCloud. So uh, different ones, I'll 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 do there, and, and you spread it around because you get actually free, you get a, you get free storage up to a certain point on these uh, cloud storage devices. So the I mean, so the uh, you know the advantage is you get a few gigabytes of free space, then you pay a small amount after that. So that's not a bad option. So I actually have gone away from backing up on the external hard drive because if somebody would, um, you know, would want to, uh, you know, if you'd have, uh, you know, a natural disaster, somebody would steal it. Many, many years ago, we, we had a break-in at the office and somebody stole my backup, really? my, my backup hard drive. And so that's when I learned over 20 years ago uh-huh. that backing up on a hard drive is not necessarily a good idea unless you've got it stored someplace else. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Rep- Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... I think we have him on track. We certainly do. Today we're going to feature Elizabeth Smith-Friedman. Elizabeth Smith Friedman is best known as America's first female crypt analyst. Crypt analyst. Her husband, you know, coined that word. Her name, Elizabeth, it's spelled with an E after the Z. Uh, that's an unusual spelling because her mother did not want her to be called Eliza. So she thought, I'm going to put an E there so people aren't going to do that. So she would be called Elizabeth Smith. Friedman. Elizabeth Friedman was born, Elizabeth Smith, actually, when she was born, was born August 26, 1892, in Huntington, Indiana. She was the youngest of nine surviving children and grew up on a farm 
1915, she got a Bachelor of Arts in English from Hillsdale College in Michigan. After she graduated, she became a substitute principal at a public high school in Wabash, Indiana. She could only take that job for about a year. So in 1918, she began working at Riverbank Laboratories in one of the first facilities in the U.S. founded to study cryptography. It turned out that the man that owned Riverbank Laboratories was very much interested in Shakespeare, and she had been studying Shakespeare, and a friend of hers connected them, and so they started talking about Shakespeare, Hmm. and he decided that he would hire her uh, because they had a project going on with Shakespeare. She really, and it turns, she really didn't go there initially for crypt, crypt, to, to cryptography, but but she just turned out she was good at it. it. And here was the project that they were working on. They were trying to prove that Sir Francis Bacon had written Shakespeare's plays and sonnets by decrypting enciphered messages that were supposed to have been contained within the plays and poems. Hmm. So they were looking for encrypted messages inside of Shakespeare's plays that had been placed there when Sir Francis Bacon wrote it. And that was supposed to prove that actually Sir Francis Bacon was the author. So she uh, she worked on that initially. But then there was another guy that worked there. You know, Elizabeth Smith went there. There was another guy by the name of William F. Friedman. He was, he was working on a number of cryptographic projects. So they started working together. They worked together for four years there at Riverside. After two years, they got married. So she became Elizabeth Smith Friedman. And William F. Friedman, her husband, I'd featured him before. He's mm-hmm. the dean of cryptography. He was He's written many books on it. He was like very, very well known in the cryptographic field. In 1921, but the thing, the reason I'm featuring Elizabeth is that he gets all the credit for stuff and they sort of just swept her under the rug. But she did a lot of stuff on her own and I wanted to feature her. In 1921, the Friedmans left Riverbank to work at the War Department in D.C., Elizabeth had a had a team, and they were dis, and they were they were decoding messages there. She had a team. She was always not working with her husband. She had a team that deciphered many encoded messages that were cropping up during the prohibition. Because you remember, during the prohibition, they couldn't sell alcohol. Yet there were a lot of smugglers smuggling alcohol into the country, and the feds were trying to capture you know trying to catch these guys. And these uh, smugglers got pretty smart because they would communicate over the radio, but they would encrypt their messages. And they would, you know, they would do various encryption techniques so the feds could not figure out who, what they were talking to. So her job was to take these encoded messages and decrypt them. And so she solved many, many mo- notable cases in the Prohibition area, including some codes that were written in Mandarin Chinese. Uh, so she was, uh, that was the first application of cryptography was to sort of catch the uh, the the rum runners in the prohibition area. Which <laughs> that's actually I didn't realize that until this weekend. And I, I always thought it was like you know we were like fighting with other countries. No, it was the it was the uh, rum it's runners. It's the booze. It was the booze that got it started. You know, the, and these guys were getting progressively more sophisticated codes as it went on. In 1923, Friedman was hired as a cryptanalyst for the U.S. Navy. Now this led to a position. Get this, with the U.S. Department Department's Bureau of Prohibition and of Customs, she solved the bulk of the intercepts collected by the Coast Guard stations in San Francisco and Florida itself. She was so good at this pattern matching. 
And she just she had, had an ability to this, and so they would just give her the messages, and boom, she could just she could just crack these codes. She was just good at it. She was like probably one of just one of the best code crackers that 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 the U.S. had at the time. She just had a talent for it. In October, November of 2029, she was recruited in Houston, Texas, to solve to solve some 650 smuggling cases that had been subpoenaed by the U.S. attorney. There were a lot of there was smuggling down there in Texas too, and she was responsible for for providing decoded information that resulted in the conviction of the narcotic smuggling brother Ezra brothers. They were, they were they, so she was down there, you know, doing encryption, decryption of uh, narcotic uh, com- communications. And her crypt, crypto-analytic responsibilities began to mount. She began to—everybody's bringing her more and more and more stuff. And she was she, she actually could not, you know, trans, you know, she could not decrypt an unlimited number of, uh, of messages. So she thought she needed to train some other people. So, <clears throat> so she set up— a teaching program to train other analysts crypto analytic fundamentals, including deciphering techniques. This allowed her just to work on the more atypical new systems as they cropped up. It also allowed her to stay one step ahead of the smugglers. Then in 1937, Canada thought sought Friedman's help with an opium dealer problem. And her solution was to decipher an unknown Chinese enciphered code. And that led to a conviction in this uh, in this opium case. During World War II, her Coast Guard unit was transferred to the Navy, where they solved the difficult Enigma machine code used by the German naval intelligence. Remember, we've talked about Enigma before. This is what uh, this was also solved by the uh, intelligence unit in Britain, and Turing was involved in that. But actually, I did not realize that her unit independently solved the Enigma code used by German naval intelligence. After retirement. Friedman and her husband, as you would expect, collaborated on the Shakespeare Project. <laughs> they went back to the Shakespeare Project. And, and they did an analysis, and they concluded by looking at writing patterns and looking at all sorts of uh, sophisticated pattern analysis that Bacon had not written any of the books. They they actually and this this work that they wrote was actually well acclaimed by all the Shakespeare scholars because it really put to bed a major controversy in the whole area of Shakespeare. Following her husband's death in 1969, Friedman devoted much of her retirement to compiling a library and bibliography of his work, and it's probably one of the most extensive libraries of cryptography in the U.S. Friedman died on October 31st, 1980 in Plainfield, New Jersey at age 88. And there you go, Elizabeth Smith Friedman, the first female cryptanalyst in the United States. Interesting. I hope you're paying attention to what we were just talking about because the knowledge that the doctor just imparted upon you could turn into free lunch. So stand by for the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2 and 103.9 FM HD 2. Watch us do the show live every Saturday morning by downloading the Periscope device to your, uh, app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. 
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes, thank you, thank oh, you, yeah. thank you. There you go. Okay, there <laughs> we go. Thank you, thank you. Please, please sit down. Please sit down. You're I know. We, rather compliant this morning. I know I it's exciting to be here in the studio, but just control yourself. This is not simply a radio show. This is a classroom of the airways, and we're going to assess the student body to see whether you have been learning anything. And if you get the correct answer to our pop quiz, you'll win tickets to fine dining at one of the Stratford University dining rooms, and you'll also get an A-plus for today's show. Earlier in the show, I talked about Elizabeth Smith-Friedman. She's the first female cryptanalyst, and she got her first job at Riverbank Laboratories. What fact or what method did she use to get that first job? What interests did she have that got her that first job at Riverbank Laboratories? If you Laboratories? Know the answer to today's question, well, that's just great. In order to turn it into free food, you must give us a call with the correct answer. If you're dialing us from West of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from East of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're trying to smuggle stuff across the border from Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And of course, anyone else, anywhere else may try us on the international line, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. And if you want to reach us from Stratford on the Avon, oh, you can wow. simply connect using Skype. Connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for price distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your So, dial now. There you go. All right. MIT has cut ties with the Chinese firms Huawei and ZTE. Massachusetts Institute of Technology has just severed those ties. That's the MIT is the latest educational institution to unplug 
the telecom equipment made by Hawaii and other Chinese companies to avoid losing federal funding. In addition, collaborations with China, Russia, Saudi Arabia would face additional administrative review procedures. Britain's Oxford University stopped accepting funding from Hawaii this year. U.S. sanctions for ZTE to stop more business from using them between April and July of last year after the uh, Commerce Department official said it broke a pact and was caught illegal ship, illegally shipping U.S. origin goods to Iran and North Korea. In Beijing, the foreign minister referred questions to the two companies but said the Chinese firms are required to abide by local laws. So this is a continuation of the battle over technology supremacy between the U.S. and China. Okay. Keep on going. We don't have a winner yet, I don't think. Okay. We got uh, – let's talk about this rechargeable battery that can last yeah. 400 years. In 2016, a battery that lasts a whole lifetime was created by Mia Lee Tai, a former Ph.D. student from UC Irvine, University of California, Irvine. She made the discovery while studying the properties of gold nanowire for commercial batteries. Typically, gold filaments lose their integrity and the battery dies after 5,000 or 6,000 cycles. Now, nanowire is a 1,000 times thinner than a human air. The increased surface area of the microscopic wires allows greater storage and transferring, capa transferring capacity for electrons. Researchers have been trying to use the material for a long time, but it ages because it's so fragile. By coating the gold nanowire with a type of electrolyte gel, Ty was able to create a circuit that withstood 200,000 charge cycles in the span of three months, during which time there was no loss in performance, nor were there any nanowires fractured by repeated use. Mai said she was just playing around. <laughs> the thing worked when she put this gel on. Now, Ty's invention could eventually lead to commercial batteries that never require replacement. Wouldn't that be great for a cell phone? That would be fabulous just, for a whole lot of things. Man, I would just love it. They could be used to power everything from computers to phones to cars to appliances. You see, battery technology is holding us back in a lot of fronts. Mm -hmm. That is a huge breakthrough. And it was just, it was just um, you know, uh, uh, she was just playing around. It was just an accident almost. Now, researchers at UV Irvine still don't know why the electrolyte gel preserves the nanowires, and they're doing additional research, and it's going to take a few years before they can scale this technology for commercial use. Okay. All right. Let's see. Let's, let's just step into uncharted territory. Let's try to get the phones on the air. We've got somebody who'd like to play the contest. Daniel is calling from Middleburg. Daniel, are you there, sir? Wait a minute, Daniel. Yeah. Right there. there you are. Whoa, oh, they hey, work. the phones work every the phones day. Work. Steps. It's a miracle. All right. Uh, Dr. Schertz, if you would please ask the question. Yes, earlier in the show we talked about Elizabeth Smith Friedman, America's first female cryptanalyst, and her first job was at Riverbank Laboratories. How did she get that first job, or why did she get that first job? Her interest in Shakespeare. That, that is, is correct. correct. We have a winner. Daniel, hang on the phone. We're going to shuttle you back to Mr. Mitchell, who will take your information, and we will send that prize right on out to you forthwith. Stand by, and uh, we'll give it right back to Andrew. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM. 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com. You can learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu, and you can follow us 
Watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope devi- app to your device. I've messed that up twice this morning, Doc. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's so disinterested. And you can follow us at WFED Tech Talk. Stand by. More coming up. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. So the question on the table is, (laughs) should humanity merge with robots? I say no. Renowned theoretical physicist... Michio Kaku believes that that is the next logical step in our evolution. Now, Michio Kaku, he is a deep, deep thinker. He was in string theory. I love reading his books. He's a very, very um, lucid writer when he's explaining complicated things. According to Kaku, robots are pretty stupid now. However, by the end of the century, they may be as smart as a monkey. Hmm. But more importantly... By the end of the century, they could become self-aware. And when computers become self-aware, they're dangerous. Yep. Remember 2001 and Hal tried to kill off all of the astronauts mm-hmm. because they were going to try to shut down the computer? So once these computers and this artificial intelligence become self-aware, we may not be able to control the outcome. Now, Dr. Kaku was referring to the alarming predictions about AI expressed by Elon Musk, who also feels that artificial intelligent machines could threaten the human race in the future. Now, Mark Zuckerberg has a differing view on AI. He's more optimistic. He says it'll be a boom for business in the near future, and we should just go for it. Now, Kaku believes that Zuckerberg is right in the short term because AI will give us prosperity, jobs, reinvigorate the economy. But in the long term... He thinks that we just can't be naive about this. If robots become self-aware in the next hundred years, as he predicts, then being naive could make humans go the way of the dinosaurs, just like the astronauts on the 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm -hmm. Kaku believes that at that point, 
that at some point in the 22nd century, we should merge with them. He says it just makes sense. We should use that technology to enhance the human race so that we have superhuman powers. Now, research is already working on ways to develop super strong synthetic muscles. They're developing a bionic, bionic lens that could give superhuman vision. They're even working on brain implants that would let you translate your thoughts into computer code. In fact, Elon Musk is work, working on a little plug that you can just plug into your brain. And so you, you can, it'll, it'll, it's, it will be wired directly into your brain and you can just plug it into a computer. The once connected, so he's thinking that we should have a human connection project that Matt, he goes, oh, there's, a, there's one more thing he was talking about. There's a human connectome project that maps the human brain in its entirety. And, it, and Kaku says, if it's possible to translate our entire consciousness into a powerful computer, then you could make powerful mechanical avatars, and we would be in the computer. Now, this all sounds like science fiction, and it is science fiction mm -hmm. now. However, in 100 years, this technology is going to be here, and we have to decide what is the next step in the evolution of the human race. What do you think? I think there's going to be some augmentation. I don't know that we're going to just transfer our brain to the computer. But does it does it scare you that this is uh, the next step? It's a little disarming. Mm -hmm. And so people are actually worried. I mean, they're they're worried. About, should we, um, you know, should we stop the the, the march of uh, you know of technology technological progress and AI, or what should we do with all this machine learning? And I think the uh, the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think we're going to stop it. And and you're, you're we're going to reach a point where if you've got artificial intelligent machines and you merge those with weapons, you've got a huge problem. I think there are. Moral issues here that have to be addressed. And I think this is a case where it's important that we get non-technology people involved with this decision-making. Like what you mean like ethicists and things yes, like that? Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like ethicists and that sort of thing because it's, 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 it's the same thing with uh, manipulating DNA. I mean at what point are we going to let – let people manipulate DNA to manipulate babies and everything. That's, mm -hmm. all, that's a similar thing where we now have the power to do things that are pretty amazing but also scary because we don't know the impact. So, I mean, and, the, and so what is, you know, the, a little disconcerting, you know, even Google thought that they should have an ethics board. So Google put together an ethics board. I mean, this, is, this sort of ties into that. They put in an ethics board. They've been working on it for about a year. They call it the Advanced Technology External Advisory Council, and it was going to look at ethics around AI machines, including machine learning and facial recognition. Now, after they got the board set up, one member immediately resigned, and they had another member on the board who was with the, uh, uh, who was with the Heritage Foundation. So a lot of Google employees were protesting that this guy should be thrown off because he didn't support LGBTQ uh, rights and anti—he was anti-trans, anti-immigrant and all of this stuff. And so the thing turned out to be a major, you know, you know, a major political tempest in a teapot. Mm -hmm. After the ethics board had been in business for one week, Google shut it down. And there were people on the ethics board that said, look— we were looking at the stuff Google's doing, and they didn't like what they didn't like what we were saying. So it's not clear that companies can self-regulate. 
And this is kind yeah. of an example of that, kind of a mini example. I'm surprised that Google disbanded it after only one week. So it was a little bit, a uh, little bit um, disconcerting there. But I think this is something that we have to watch, and we don't really know what the right answer is, actually. But um, I think I think computers are going to impact the next evolutionary phase of humanity. Facebook has let fiber cyber crime groups operate in plain sight. Researchers at Cisco's Talos Security Division revealed on April 5th of 2019 that they had uncovered 74 Facebook groups devoted to the sale of stolen credit card data, identity information, spam lists, hacking tools, and other cybercrime commodities. They say those those groups operate in plain sight with with names like spam professional and spammer and hacking professional. They attracted 385,000 members in all. Anyone could find them by simply by searching basic terms like carding or CVV, which are references to security codes on the back of credit cards. Screenshots that Cisco published in the blog, you know, summarizing its findings, uh, showed that uh, users were actually publishing pictures of stolen credit cards, stolen ID, offering lists of CVVs, these are the security codes, at $5 each, as well as collections of thousands of emails ripe for spamming and phishing, the type of data usually sold on the dark web. And it was being sold in plain sight by Facebook. Some of the posts that Cisco researchers found, they were selling um, all sorts of data, and they just finally notified Facebook of this, these, um, these illegal cybercrime circles, and Facebook shut them down. But other ones immediately popped up. They did a search again, and they found more. So Facebook is not doing a very good job of monitoring what's going on on their site. All right, let's take a break, Doc. Okay. It is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. We'll learn about all the great programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu, and you can watch us do the program. In fact, it's been noted today that I'm wearing my Stratford blue sweater again today. This seems to be my Saturday go-to. So you can watch us uh, by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. You know, we're, we're running some statistics on the uh, Podcast One distribution. Really? 30, the, the show's been listened to on Podcast One 32,000 times. Mm-hmm. And it, this is the distribution. 86% of the downloads are from the U.S., and the other countries include Germany, UK, Canada, and Australia. Within the U.S., 65% of the downloads are from California. Interesting. Silicon and, Valley? Yeah, Silicon Valley. And that's followed by Maryland, Virginia, New York, and Texas. These are all tech hubs. And so, you know, you know d- down in Texas, a big tech hub. Up in New York, there's a big population of international students, a tech hub. And, of course, Maryland, the tech hub, because that's local. So it was an interesting distribution. So that's 32,000 times since when? I don't know. This that, was a, <clears throat> since Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> since the, – I think they just started gathering the they – just, they just came out with Podcast One. Not, they mm-hmm. just started that – just started sending them over to Podcast One not too long ago. So it's – You've been on Apple oh. – um, is it, what is it? Uh, what's the Apple app? Uh, th- that was the place where you were. I'm, right? I'm on Apple iTunes. Plus, yes. Plus, we we've got the podcast file on the Stratford website, so we've so it's actually in two two locations. Can you can you check and see what kind of listenership we have on either I'll, of those? Yeah, I'll check on. I don't that, I don't have because that. I know you've been on those for a long time. I've been on those for a while. So mm-hmm. so it, it turns so it just occurred to me Stratford because we have so many people listening in other areas. We've got a very robust online program. Mm-hmm. So we have all of our IT programs online. We've embedded in a lot of projects. We've got some built-in certifications right in those online programs. We've got a lot of projects. We have streaming applications where people that do their online program, they they have access to install, you know, they've got virtual machines. They've got uh, they've got a, a thin desktop. All the applications that they need, they, they when they log into the system, all their applications show up. The IT students have access to, to, to several virtual machines online where they can upload different operating systems and test them out. They can remotely configure uh, routers and switches online. So even though you're doing an online class, it's like you're in the classroom because we have all the resources right online. So we got great, great online programs. And in our business programs are we got a lot of built-in simulations, so you really do real things in life. And so it's uh, it's really a, our online programs are just a lot of fun. So it just we don't really talk about it that much. But no. now that I see all where the podcast distribution, we got sixty five percent of the U.S. people are in California. We got other countries. Um, a, a lot of the a lot of the listenership in um, in on the Stratford University website is from India because we have so many students from India and around the world. So it's uh, you know. It's hard to get students to get up at nine o'clock Saturday morning after you know heavy partying Friday night. On Friday night, night. okay. But and they can listen to a podcast anytime. True, and nine o'clock East Coast uh, for the. That's true. That's, well, there you go. You could listen to the podcast on the West Coast anytime you yeah, want. I'm you thinking could, about listening to us live. 
because I'm a live kind of guy. I know it's, uh, but you know, you've got it. Well, I'd I'd say the older demo is going to be listening to us live, probably so, <laughs> on, yes. on average. Mm-hmm. Okay, cyber attacks are damaging the national infrastructure. You know, we've talked a lot about this, but there was a survey, and here's the problem: it's hard to get data on it because if there's a, you know, if there's a successful attack on, say, um, a power system or a, or a you know, or a dam, you know, hydro system, hydropower system, they're not going to talk about it because they, they want to keep it cl- classified. So they, so there are attacks going on, but nobody talks about it. Nobody knows about it. So a, um, they did a survey of security professionals in six countries, including the UK. It was done by Poneman Institute. And it was an anonymous survey. It was sent out to all the IT professionals in these countries who were working at these locations, and they would answer anonymously so they wouldn't impact the public perception of their particular company. And they they got staffs of utility, energy, health, transport sectors. They were all questioned. They were tasked with keeping critical, and all of these staff members were in charge of keeping critical infrastructure systems running. And uh, any details of what they were doing were often kept secret for security reasons. Now, the Ponemon Institute, which specialized in cybersecurity and privacy issues, used the anonymous poll to quiz 700 security professionals in U.S., U.K., Germany, Australia, Mexico, and Japan. Uh, Of those responding, 9 out of 10 said the organization they worked for had been damaged by a successful Mm. cyber attack in the last two years. Many reported being hit three to six times in the last two years. Respondents said half of the successful attacks had resulted in downtime of critical systems. This is because... Essential systems were knocked out as part of the attack, or operators had to turn off the system to repair the damage. This is really a big change from what we had seen before. And now we know the risk just isn't theoretical. And the reason behind it, of course, is that we've got more increased connectivity uh, of industrial control systems to the Internet. They, they've got these Internet access. They call them SCADA devices. These are uh, devices that... Um, that allow a switch or some key element to hook to the Internet so you can control it remotely. And many of these SCADA devices, S-C-A-D-A, are not really secure. So companies have to protect themselves. They got to, I mean, first of all, they got to assume the tax is going to be made. They got to prepare with the right people, the processes, the technology. They got to realize the attacks aren't going to stop. So they've, they've got to build um, cybersecurity into their system. They got to guard against human failings. Many attacks succeed because employees just click on a phishing email. So a lot of it is just employee training. And more importantly, they need to start sharing intelligence with similar organizations instead of just being all isolated and not communicating. So national cyber defense organizations often run online forums where experiences can be shared. And it's important to share these experiences. So this is becoming an ongoing problem that is going to have to be addressed sooner or later. Project Cooper, K-U-I-P-E-R. Is that how? I'd go Kuiper. Kuiper, Project Kuiper. I would say Kuiper's would be, I would have to agree with that. Project Kuiper, that's Amazon's high-speed satellite internet. Amazon plans to build a massive network of 3,000-plus satellites to provide high-speed internet access for the masses. The project is intended to give a big boost to broadband speeds, connectivity, and low latency so that people who lack access in the developing world can get it. The Constellation is planned as a network of 784 satellites in the lowest altitude. 
that would be 590 kilometers. They'll have 1,296 satellites at the next higher altitude. That would be 610 kilometers. The remaining 1,156 will be floating at the highest at 630 kilometers above the Earth. If all goes well, Project Kuiper will have a reach within its broadband coverage to, to cover 95% of the global population. Project Kuiper gets its name from the region in the solar system that exists beyond the eight major planets. Interesting. I was going to ask that. The Kuiper belt is similar to an asteroid belt in that it contains many small bodies, all of which are remnants of the solar system's formation. In November, Amazon announced it would build 12 ground stations to transmit data to and from the satellites, indicating a grander space ambition. With this project, Amazon is going to join other big and small names in the race to build a global, affordable broadband network. SpaceX, as well as Airbus-backed OneWeb, have already announced similar projects. So this is going to change Internet access around the world. Now, there's a question here. Can AI predict premature death? Yeah, it is interesting, and it's scary, too. <laughs> it is scary. A team of healthcare data scientists, doctors, have developed and tested a system of computer-based learning algorithms used to predict the risk of early death due to chronic disease in a large middle-aged population. They found the AI system was very accurate in its prediction and performed better than the standard approach to predict of prediction developed by human experts. The team used data from just over half a million people aged between 40 and 69. They found the machine learning algorithm was significantly more accurate in predicting death than the standard prediction models developed by humans. The AI machine, uh, the AI machine learning models used a new study that are known as the random forest and deep learning. These were pitched against the traditional Cox regression prediction model used on age and gender. The Nottingham researchers predict that AI will play a vital part in the development of future tools for delivering personalized medicine, tailoring risk management to individual patients. They were able to get um, you know, almost an 85% accuracy in the prediction compared to something like... Um, you know, 60% accuracy using the human method. So AI and machine learning are going to have more and more impact in medicine. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. We'd like you to check out the programs that Stratford University offers in, in, in computers, software engineering, computer networking, business, and other things. Simply go to the website, www.stratford.edu. Check out the programs there. Tell them you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.